Archaeology is often viewed as a fascinating, eclectic, yet ultimately quaint pursuit. This program explores archaeology from the perspective of professionals who demonstrate that in the 21st century, archaeology and its sub-disciplines may hold the key not only to our past, but to our present and future. Welcome to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with your host, Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. Spend the next hour exploring where we came from and where we're headed with a leading researcher and practitioner in the field. Now, here is Dr. Schuldenrein. Good evening, everyone. This is Joe Schuldenrein addressing you from rainy New York City, rainy and snowy New York City. Uh, today's program is, uh, I won't say totally unusual, but it focuses on some of the conflicts that uh, archaeologists in the applied sector, or as we say in the business cultural resource management, are confronting on a very regular basis, and that concerns the conflicting interests between development groups and um, archaeologists and folks involved in the regulatory sphere. Um, We are going to be focusing on a somewhat controversial project in the state of Indiana, and we had originally extended invitations to the developer as well as to members of the private sector in cultural resources and regulator personnel as well, and the developer apparently declined to appear. We will um, present certainly some of the points from the perspective of, in this case, uh, citizens groups and professional community advocates in uh, in the archaeological sector. Uh, my guests today are Miss Beth McCord, who is an archaeologist uh, with Midwestern expertise, Uh, She is the Indiana branch manager for Gray and Pape, a cultural resource management firm that has uh, done extensive work across North America. She uh, received her MA in anthropology from Ball State University, and she has uh, undertaken considerable work on mounds, uh, middle woodland period, probably earlier periods as well. She is a member and chairman of the board of directors of the Indiana Archaeology Council and serves on the Indiana Historic Preservation Review Board. Uh, Welcome to the program, Beth. Thank you, Joe. I'm glad to be here. Dr. Chris Moore received his Ph.D. in anthropology from the University of Kentucky, where he studied the organization of production of the stone and bone tool technologies of the Kentucky Green River Archaic. Uh, He has published extensively on Midwestern and Southeastern archaeology. He is a principal investigator for the state of Indiana and works closely with archaeologists from the Indiana State Museum. He is currently teaching at Indianapolis University and is also on the board of the Indiana Archaeology Council, Indiana's uh, statewide organization of professional archaeologists. Chris, thank you for appearing on the program. Thanks, Joe. Happy to be here. 
So, Beth, I uh, understand that you have been involved in the archaeology and in the issues concerning the Mounds Lake projects. Why don't you give us a little bit of the background, first of all, in terms of the prehistory? I mean, the mound groups most people know are very critical archaeological structures and constructed earthworks features of the prehistoric period. Give us a little bit of background on that, and then also how it leads up to the situation concerning the development of the area and the proposed dam that will ostensibly drown out the sites. Why don't you give us a little bit of info so that we can stage the uh, discussion? Sure. Uh, so the earthworks that are in, in question with this project are um, located near Anderson, Indiana, in Madison County. And this is a group uh, that is within uh, the Indiana State Park, known as, known as Mounds State Park. Um, it was named that after the, the mounds and earthworks uh, within the park boundaries. Uh, the earthworks themselves date to about 2,000 years ago. Uh, there are two distinct groups of earthworks within the park. There's a southern group of eight circular enclosures. The largest and most recognizable of these is termed the Great Mound just because of its size. Um, it's about 350 feet in diameter with the embankment walls and, and the ditch. It's about 10 feet in height. So this is truly a, an impressive structure. Uh, the other Mounds that are part of the, the southern group um, are a fiddleback enclosure. It's, it's shaped like the back of a fiddle, a figure eight construction almost. And then there are two smaller circular enclosures that are visible um, and have signage as well. The other four earthworks that were part of that uh, group have kind of been lost through history. We know one of them was destroyed um, by a road project very early in the, in the 1900s. So there has been some, some damage to that southern group. And then there's a northern group uh, that consists of three rectangular enclosures. One of those is, is very visible and prominent. Um, it's sub-rectangular in shape, but it's called circle now for whatever reason. Um, so, and then the other two uh, group of northern enclosures uh, have also suffered some, some damage over the years, and they aren't posted for interpretive signs within the park. Uh, between those two groups of enclosures, there's an isolated mound, uh, a conical mound that overlooks the river valley. And all of the earthworks uh, are located along the terrace edge of the White River Valley, um, they were um, documented in some of the earliest historic records. The, uh, the reason that they're so well-preserved, the first uh, family that, that purchased property uh, in the early 1800s, the Bronnenberg family, actually set aside that land and didn't plow it and didn't cultivate it. Uh, they didn't allow people to come in and, and dig in, within the mounds. So that's one of the reasons why this is, this is a very uh, well-preserved um, site. Um, how this all links to the, to the Mounds Lake project, 
Um, it is termed Mounds Lake because it's referencing the, those mounds within Mound State Park. Um, this uh, project would create a dam along the White River, and it could have very serious impacts to the earthworks that are within Mound State Park. Um, the earthworks are the most prominent feature in the park, but there are a lot of other archaeological sites um, within the park that would be impacted as well. So. And uh, let me get to you, Chris. How did you get involved in the project, and what is your interest in it? Well, I am the uh, president of the Indian Archaeology Council, and um, when we first heard about uh, the Mound Lake proposal, back when it was initially in its planning stages, one of our members, um, an archaeologist named Don Cochran, brought this to our attention that, um, that this, this lake project had been proposed. We were, uh, the archaeological community, including the, the IAC membership, were pretty much taken aback by, um, by the fact that anyone would propose to put a lake in this particular location. Uh, the IAC isn't um, opposed to development. You know, most of our members are, uh, are cultural resource management professionals. They, we, we make a lot of our um, a lot of our business working for development companies and, and doing uh, cultural resource management work. And so we're not opposed to development per se, but this particular project being located so close to Mounds Lake, um, we knew uh, just from experience with dealing with lake and reservoir projects in the past that this would um, have some pretty dire consequences for the, the long-term preservation of, of these mounds and earthworks and, um, and furthermore, the viewshed that, uh, that uh, the mounds are a part of. So um, we were uh, alerted to the project by one of our members, and, um, and then we took the steps to, uh, to draft uh, a statement in opposition to the construction of the mound, and, um, and then Don, as a representative of the IAC, um, took that statement to a variety of uh, town hall meetings and um, uh, and other kinds of uh, public uh, input venues where um, where our opposition was expressed and so um, i 've been involved in the process um, as the president of the IAC uh, and um, you know in the drafting of those statements and, and just kind of following along as um, as Don and Beth and others have um, have sort of carried the torch for uh, for our our view of uh, the, um, the the viability of this project in terms of the long term preservation of Mound State Park and the resources that are that are contained within it. In terms of practicality, uh, I, I don't know that a whole lot of our listenership is aware of this, but uh, there is a long tradition of doing archaeology in the vicinity of projected dam projects, in part because dams are built on the sites of large rivers. These, these were sites that were very attractive to prehistoric and subsequently historic populations. And normally there is some kind of an accommodation that is made between the developers, who in many cases are electric utilities, hydropower organizations, and... Um, the regulatory communities and the preservation communities as well. Now, uh, large-scale um, dam development occur, occurred in the 80s, and before that, of course, there were the river basin surveys in, in the 50s and, the, and, and around that time. But uh, what I'd like to ask you, Beth, is how long ago was the planning undertaken for this particular project, and what is, who, is, who really is the developer here? 
Well, from from my understanding, and, you know, this is an outside perspective, um, the idea started in 2010 at a leadership academy uh, held in Madison County, which is uh, Anderson, where the, where the project would would be uh, uh, built. So the the idea generated enough interest from that workshop, I think, that uh, the Corporation for Economic Development expanded the idea into actually creating this 2,100-acre lake along the White River. So the developer is is this Corporation for Economic Development. Um, what the Corporation for Economic Development has done are a couple of feasibility studies because they do have to comply with state, federal regulations, of course, anytime you're going to do a major development like this. Um, like some of the projects you were just mentioning, you know, those those were regulated, you know, in the, in the 60s, 70s, and 80s um, as well. But the, uh, the, the next phase of development would actually be handing the project off to a Mounds Lake Commission. And this commission would be formed by public officials from Madison and Delaware County, where the project is located, and then local communities such as the towns of Anderson, Daleville, and Yorktown. And this commission would actually, um, if it is formed, this is the next step, if it is formed, it would take over the development of the lake itself and start going through uh, the the. The NEPA process, that's a federal process that would be involved in this type of project. That's the uh, National Environmental Protection Act, or NEPA. So that's my understanding of the, of the project, though. I wish the developer would have joined us. And we will resume our discussion on the development of the Mounds Lake project and its implications for archaeology and the amount of, I assume, controversy that's being uh, created in its wake right after these messages. Stay tuned. Voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you experiencing a relationship or a relation slip? Without the carefully measured balance of spirit and ego, it might not be what you want it to be. On Relation Slips with Dr. Bobby Summer and Lori Lynn Mann, we'll explore relationships from two unique ends of the spectrum. In addition, we'll have amazing guests, both experts and celebrities, and we'll hear from you, too. Relation Slips can be heard live every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
tired of lackluster results with your marketing? Craving more leads in your business? Tune into the Mojo Marketing Edge with the team behind Mojo Global Marketing, Ira Rosen and Corey Michael Sanchez. Winners of the Marketer of the Year, they will show you how to generate daily leads, build databases of raving fans, and close deals faster than ever before. See what's hot right now and how you can tap into it to generate an endless supply of customers and clients. The Mojo Marketing Edge can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Listening to Indiana Jones Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to Indiana Jones Myth Reality at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Joe Schultenroy, and I'm back with my guests, uh, Ms. Beth McCord and Dr. Chris Moore, who are archaeologists from the state of Indiana, where a project has been proposed to dam a segment of the White River. One of the problems associated with that, and it's a problem that obviously is unique for the moment, but it's a recurrent problem for uh, archaeologists all over the country, and for that matter, all over the world, is that when dams are constructed, water levels are ri- rise, and there is a strong potential for uh, destruction of archaeological sites that are in the pathway of the flooding zone and as is the case here and in many other parts of the world archaeological sites have traditionally uh, been associated with locations on the margins of rivers either on floodplains or on terraces slightly overlooking or largely overlooking the uh, the rivers themselves so my question to you and let me hand this over to Chris is how how close to the flood line are the mounds, and are they in direct danger from flooding associated with river rise and or lake construction? And how direct or immediate a threat would this be if the project goes through? Well, that's one, um, that's one of the um, big issues about this particular project that makes Anderson a little, bit, uh, a little bit unique. If the mounds were within the proposed lake area, that would, um, that would change everything, but they're not. The actual um, earthworks and mounds that are in Anderson, um, the Mound State Park, those are actually located above the proposed water level of the, uh, of the dam, so they would be above the lake level. And that's where things get a little bit, uh, a little bit touchy. Even though they're above the lake level, that doesn't mean that they aren't susceptible from, uh, to damage by the lake. And this is something that um, that we as an organization are trying to communicate about uh, about this particular project. Just because they won't be underwater, doesn't mean they're not um, going to be endangered. And um, some of the ways that that uh, that that uh, that those problems occur are the impacts of the lake shore on the bluffs that the mounds are actually located on. So when you have a large reservoir or lake like this that's constructed, that changes the hydrology, it changes the, um, the local 
dynamics of the, the river system. It creates a lake where once there was a river, and that um, wave action coming off the lake actually erodes those bluffs. We've seen this happen to archaeological sites and other uh, dams and reservoirs uh, around Indiana and around the, the nation uh, in places um, uh, like Lake Monroe, a little bit south of Indianapolis, and, and other places around. Every place where you have archaeological sites right up uh, close to the edge of the lake level, like, uh, like the mounds at, um, at Anderson will be, those archaeological sites are severely impacted by wave action, by wake off of boats, by um, increased opportunities for, um, for illicit digging uh, as people are able to have more access to those resources. Um, and so we, we anticipate uh, a considerable impact uh, on mounds proper as a result of this lake. But we're archaeologists. We're not just interested in the big, impressive mounds and earthworks. We're also interested in the other archaeological resources that are in that area. There hasn't been um, a, a real detailed assessment of the cultural resources that are within the proposed lake footprint, but the surveys that have been done in the past um, as a part of other projects um, that have surveyed uh, portions of, of, of the footprint have identified um, about 50 archaeological sites that are, that are directly within the known archaeological sites that are directly within the footprint, another uh, 30 or so that are within about 300 feet of where the, the lake level will be in addition to mounds. So there are a considerable number of archaeological sites already known that will be directly covered by the lake, and um, about half of those have been um, recommended for additional, uh, additional testing. And there are a number of both um, prehistoric archaeological resources and known historic archaeological resources that will be directly impacted as a result of this project. So it's not just about the mounds themselves. They're, they're definitely a, a major consideration here, but there's a broader archaeological picture um, that, that's involved here. Right, so it's it's not just the footprint itself, but as you say, it's more it's a larger ecological issue. It's one that uh, has unanticipated consequences, as as uh, you've pointed out. So that, for example, if it's going from a river to a lake, there's clear, clearly undermining and undercutting effects of wave action of the lake, which could, as you suggested, undermine the bluffs. Recon That's exactly recon right. Reconfigure the structures and the geomorphology and the landscape settings of the mounds themselves, and it could eventually, over the long haul, have a long-term effect. Yeah, that's that's true, clearly. Yeah. And one of the one of the earthworks that Beth mentioned, the Fiddleback earthwork, that earthwork itself actually is constructed a little bit over the bluff. So um, any wave action or wake that um, comes off of the lake would. Um, potentially be lapping right up against that earthwork. So right. uh, there are a couple of earthworks, that one being um, the most prominent, that are in immediate danger um, should the lake be constructed. So, Beth, tell us a little bit about where the situation is right now. Uh, what Are there appeal processes? Are they still in hearings? Has contact ma been made between stakeholders and the developer? Where is that right now? Um, as far as I know, the developer has sent out some early coordination packets to state and federal agencies to make them aware of, of the project. So uh, the Environmental Protection Agency, uh, Indiana Department of Environmental Management, 
Indiana Department of Natural Resources, state parks. Um, according to their, their feasibility studies, they've at least contacted them to let them know uh, that they're, you know, intending to do this, this, this project. Um, there hasn't been... Um, it, the project itself is not far along enough into the development phase to where there have been any hearings or, you know, actually any legal actions taken um, for the project. So I, I would assume if they do decide to move forward with the project at this point, they have to form uh, that Mounds uh, Lake Commission, first of all, and then that will move forward into actually doing environmental impact studies uh, to, you know, determine the actual effect on not just archaeological sites, but the, the environment. Um, there is a uh, nat- uh, uh, natural uh, preserve fin within Mound State Park that's a very unique type of wetland. That would be flooded. That is well below the waterline. Um, so that would be one issue. There would have to be bat surveys. I understand that there are some other um, species, like there's a dragonfly species. Uh, I think three of those are on the endangered species uh, list that could be impacted by this project. Um, and then, of course, you have all the community impacts of people that would lose their houses or their businesses to this, you know, project moving forward. So it's a it's a much bigger issue than than just the archaeology here that they oh, would have course. to deal with. Right so. now, who is who, again? The developer is who, and and what what are they? Are they a hydropower agency? No, they are they are an economic development. Um, All right. Um, yeah. So it is the the Madison County Corporation for Economic Development that is so far um, kind of taken the reins on this, and they've hired an engineering firm, um, DLZ. I think there's a couple of other other um, environmental firms uh, that have done some preliminary studies for the project uh, for them, but, but they would not actually move forward with the development. The 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 Corporation for Economic Development that would be transferred to this Mount Lake Commission. But but are are they building a station? Are is it going to be a recreational area? What 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 are the plans for it? Well, that's that's one of sort of the the unique problems and one of the red flags that came up with this project um, when the the first feasibility study uh, came out. The purpose for this was for economic development to create a recreational area a lake project, you know, that people can kayak on and boat on and, you know, it would, you know, create all the things that lake recreation does and provide an economic boom to uh, Madison and, and, and Delaware counties. Somewhere along the line, the project has kind of evolved and now it's being proposed or the, the purpose is being stated that it's for water supply for the Indiana. Indianapolis metropolitan area that is downstream from this area and for central Indiana to help in, in times where you may have drought conditions and long-term just to help uh, Indianapolis and, and Madison County area with water supply issues. Um, 
a lot of the the opposition has tagged on to this kind of change in purpose because it, it definitely will affect how the project move, moves forward. Um, if the purpose and the need is for economic development and recreation, then the developer will have to demonstrate that this lake project is the best alternative for economic development and recreational use. If the purpose is actually for drinking water, then the developer would have to demonstrate that this lake is the best alternative for a drinking water supply. Uh, And a a lot of the other uh, opposition agencies, um, a couple of the the public forums that I've went to, they're really questioning if there there is a purpose for drinking water. Um, The... Indianapolis, one of the major uh, Indianapolis water suppliers, uh, Citizens Energy, has come out and said that you know they have an adequate water supply for the next 35 years. Their first uh, method for uh, conserving water uh, resources for the future would actually be conservation. One of the last things that they would propose would to be uh, you know, to create another reservoir for this. So that sort of gets into some of the controversy and the stickiness of this project of exactly what the developers intend to do with this project. Andrew, let me uh, ask you this. Uh, well, we'll do this after the break, but I want you to both think about uh, whether or not both of these objectives the need for drinking water and the need for developing the areas of recreational uh, area are indeed reinforcing objectives. And if so, how would a possible solution that would integrate some archaeological uh, mitigation efforts with that, how would, might, that be, uh, might that be received by people in the area, and we will discuss that question when we get back. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Museums are great places to work and wonderful places to visit. But are they essential? How can we improve our museum practice so that museums remain vital and essential players in society? Listen for Museum Life with host Carol Bossert, where each week we'll discuss timely and topical issues of concern to the museum community. Museum Life can be heard live every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton, and featuring a team of college coach experts, we'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to Indiana Jones Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to Indiana Jones Myth Reality at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Good evening, this is Joe Schuldenrein back with our uh, episode of Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology. Today's uh, topic is the oft-times conflicting interests of developers and of the preservation community, uh, especially in the vicinity or in response to the construction of large uh, dams and recreational lake facilities that often tend to endanger the archaeology in their vicinity. Uh, my guests are uh, Chris Moore and Beth McCord, both of whom are on the Indiana Historic Preservation Review Board. Beth, uh, give us a little bit more detail about the archaeology of these mound groups. Uh, the Midwest is known for having extensive mound complexes that uh, go back to the woodland period and sometimes a little bit earlier. Why don't you tell us specifically about what we know about the archaeology of this particular area? Sure. Um as you mentioned, uh, you know, mounds were, were fairly pro- prolific um, in this area, really across the, the entire Ohio River Valley um, on most of the major, uh, you know, rivers that stem from the Ohio. Um, you would see large and impressive earthworks. Um, some of those that are, that are maybe better known um, are, are some of those around Chillicothe and Ohio. Um, those were really the height of what we call Hopewell uh, mound building. Um, but there were really um, a couple of, of cultures that, w- that we've named, um, and archaeologists just tend to name things after some place. So they, they may not really have um, much meaning to the, to the native populations, but the terms Adina and Hopewell have been assigned to them. Um, and... In East Central Indiana, uh, Don Cochran and I did a study uh, a few years ago that went through historic documents just looking to see how many mounds and earthworks were were, uh, at one time present in this region. And we found records for over 300 of them um, just in, you know, this region alone. Um, Unfortunately, part of the results of that also... uh, suggested that, that fewer than 100 of them actually remain today. So we've already lost a third of earthworks and mounds, um, you know, from this woodland time period. Uh, mound State Park, um, by it being preserved by the Brandenburg family, uh, is, is really probably the best example uh, from this region of an earthwork uh, complex. And... These these sites, you really have to think of them as as an entire landscape. Uh, the native populations that constructed these, you know, two thousand years ago, 
they they built individual earthworks, you know, into you know circular forms or maybe conical mounds or rectangular forms, but they were really modifying the entire landscape. Um, from Mound State Park, you know, we've actually documented that there are uh, some solar alignments uh, within the, the the earthworks themselves. So, for example, um, if you're in the center of the Great Mound, the sun will set at the winter solstice through a dip in the embankment wall, and that dip lines up with another earthwork that's just to the west of that. So you can't really look at these as just individual earthworks. You have to look at them as an entire landscape. And we're very fortunate for the ones there at Mounds um, that so many of them have actually been preserved. So you can actually study that landscape and you aren't missing, you know, half of your puzzle when you start your investigation. In terms of the mounds themselves, uh, much of the work that's been done across the Midwest in particular, um, along the Ohio and and certainly into the trunk streams of uh, trunk stream of the Mississippi, um, the mounds are typically well well identified, sorted out as either uh, religious or burial mounds, uh, temple mounds, or, or do do we have uh, any indication of the functionality of this particular mound group? Um, there there have been burials recovered from uh, a couple of the earthworks uh, that have been excavated. Um, the the excavations within Mounds Park are, have actually been somewhat limited within the earthworks. They've been very research-focused. Um, Indiana University archaeologists um, probably conducted the most extensive excavations within the Great Mound in the late 60s. And there was a, a small conical mound on the, in the center of the Great Mound that was excavated, and several burials um, were recovered there. But you also had a, a lot of uh, features. There seemed to be some ritualized burning episodes. There were three stacked clay platforms within the mound. Um, you had some, some posts that were set up uh, along particular orientations. So, you know, I think, you know, any earthwork site, you can argue that, you know, this was a specific gathering space. It was a very social place. Um, the actual activities are a little bit hard to determine from archaeology sometimes, you know, if people were holding dances or singing or, uh, you know, having various celebrations or playing games or storytelling, all of those things that we know, you know, Native American um, culture is rich in, they don't leave a whole lot of material objects for us to find. So, you know, when we say that these sites were for ceremonial or ritual activities, a lot of times it's just because we're lacking that material um, uh, goods, but we can make inferences, you know, from from historically documented Native Americans and what they were doing or from from similar sites um, that have larger-scale excavations um, to correlate with it, so... Chris, you had mentioned uh, an interesting point insofar as a rise in the lake level would certainly accelerate some degenerative processes like erosion along the sides of the bluffs, undermining 
the uh, structure of the bluffs themselves is also a possibility. What about access to the mounds and the potential for looting? Is there any long history of looting and how might that change if there would be ostensibly easier, easier access to these mound groups? Yeah, that is one of our major concerns. Um, right now, the mounds are protected. They're within the boundaries of Mound State Park, and to access them from the water, you have to first park a boat at the the base of the bluff line and then climb up the bluff and um, and do whatever uh, deed you're going to do there. And, um, you know, as a state park, it's constantly uh, being visited by individuals, and so this would have to take place after... Um, after dark, and uh, there are all kinds of logistical constraints on on looting within the park at this moment. However, if you raise the lake level, it makes those um, locations much more accessible by boat. And we actually have seen that um, in in locations around the state where um, when when known archaeological resources become more accessible by uh, watercraft or or any kind of vehicular transportation, the incidence of looting increases. Um, So that is a major concern of ours. Um, we're also um, we're also a little bit concerned by um, by just the uh, the long term impacts of um, of looting and the erosion on these mounds um, as a part of a uh, a cultural landscape. So, like Beth pointed out, the when these Adena and Hopewell people were constructing these mounds and earthworks, they're not just building um, one location, one archaeological site, or one earthwork or one mound. They're part of these broader um, landscapes, and they articulate with one another. We can actually see this very clearly in some areas where um, these long um, linear earthworks in Ohio, for instance, um, link up different, uh, different earthwork sites from this similar time period. And so um, these mounds are part of this broader, uh, this broader cultural landscape that would have included the river bottoms and um, all of the archaeological sites around it, and, and you know a good number of those uh, 300 earthworks and mounds that um, that Beth and Don were able to record. And so, um, you know, looting of, of artifacts from the mounds um, is definitely a, a concern of ours. But just the overall impact of the setting of these mounds and our ability as archaeologists and as interpreters to inform the public about what these mounds. Um, meant to Native peoples in the past and to Native peoples in the present uh, will be uh, will be impacted by the construction of this giant lake right next to it, a, a lake that is um, is not part of the the historical cultural landscape of mounds. And of course, one of the other uh, deleterious effects of this sort of development is whatever infrastructure would be initiated in that uh, footprint of not just the lake, but obviously in the vicinity, docking structures, uh, possibly some commercial enterprises that might be planned for the area, which uh, can't be any good for the archaeological sites at, at all. It would probably make preserving them that much more difficult, and enforcing that preservation would be equally as difficult, I, I assume. Have you guys seen any projected plans for the landscape, or is it too, too early for that? 
No, the, the only plans that, that I've seen, and, and maybe Beth has seen something else, but the only plans that I've seen are the actual plans of the footprint of the mound itself. But where we have seen these, um, these other lakes and reservoirs develop in the greater Indianapolis area, that's exactly what happens. As soon as you construct the lake, you start to see higher-end um, housing additions start to go in. You start to see commercial development around the lake. And that's part of the economic development process. Um, and so most of those, whereas the lake is... Uh, the footprint of the lake and, and the, the damage to archaeological resources that would be, um, it, that would be um, brought about by that is, are, are partially um, going to be mitigated through the um, cultural resource management process. Those private developments that, um, that come along with the lake in most cases would not. And so um, we would see a, a, an increase in destruction to sites as those developments are put in as that economic development takes place, and we would lose a lot of archaeological resources in that process just because um, they're privately funded and, and not um, not subject to federal regulation when it comes to archaeology. And we will be back with our intriguing discussion on the construct potential construction of a lake along the foot uh, the uh, margins of the White River in Indiana. After these words, please stay tuned for our final segment. We'll be right back. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com There are over 140 million products manufactured worldwide. It is impossible to know the ingredients in these products, especially those made overseas. Stan Salat, creator of the HSF Mark and the Counterfeit Mark Alliance, is the host of People to People, working together for your safety. Stan believes in our right to know the type and amount of hazardous materials in consumer products and whether they are counterfeit. Find out how you can protect yourself every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You're listening to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to indianajonesmythreality at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. 
We have been talking about prehistoric mound groups in the Midwest with a particular emphasis on uh, the mound groups in the vicinity of the White River in Indiana. And there is a danger of those mounds being subject to inundation and to uh, destructive erosional forces as well as uh, the type of destruction that occurs when recreational facilities are con- uh, are initiated in uh, a lake area that has basically been transformed from a river area and of course these have collective and compounded negative effects on archaeological resources and some of the mound groups in Indiana are among the most important ones in the uh, central United States in the Midwest, upper Midwest. And uh, we fortunately, uh, we were discussing this with our two special guests from the Indiana Historic Preservation Review Board, uh, Beth McCord and, and uh, Chris Moore. Fortunately, this is very early on in the projected planning for a, uh, a recreational facility and the construction of a lake. Uh, in support of that facility um, and I suspect and I'd like to get this from uh, let me uh, talk to you address uh, Beth with this particular question are you getting uh, since you are early in the process are you getting any feedback from the local community what are they thinking and are they to be crass on your side or on the side of the developers it depends on who you talk to. Um, if you talk to the developers and you visit their website, um, they say they have a lot of local community support. Um, they have, you know, put out, uh, they have a, a website that people can go to. They can review project documents. They can download the feasibility study. The phase two um, uh, study just came out uh, last month. So, um, you know, they, they say that they have a lot of support. Um, but the opposition, um, and there are several groups that are opposed to this, not just the Indiana Archaeology Council, um, you know, they, they are saying that they have, you know, a growing core uh, of people as more and more people find out about the project and they, they become more educated about potential environmental effects um, for this. I think there's a real, you know, grassroots, um, several of these organizations are grassroots uh, coalitions they're really um, gaining some momentum. So uh, one of the primary ones is uh, called the Heart of the River. Um, you know, they want to protect the, the river from the dam, primarily for environmental reasons, but they also recognize, you know, the, the cultural resources that could be impacted by this as well. Um, one of the other main um, opposition groups is the um, Hoosier Environmental Council, um, they also have, you know, uh, a pretty wide uh, street stretching group and sphere of influence, uh, and they've come out in opposition for this. Um, most recently, like the the League of Women Voters in in Muncie, which is in Delaware County, has come out in opposition for this. So. Um, well, well, but in contrast to that, and and I'm sure this is. Uh, a situation that will come up if and uh, when the uh, developers get more serious about their promotion and, and when they uh, 
begin to acquire some political backing, which probably both sides will eventually have to resort to. The question becomes, what is the economic situation of the county and the vicinity? And uh, as you know, economics sort of dictate everything. Are we in an area here that has high unemployment relatively? Um, What's that situation? Chris? I I can't speak to that, Joe. I don't know what the unemployment rate is in in Madison County. Um, Beth, any ideas on that? You know, I don't know an exact figure, but 7% popped into my mind, which, I mean, that could either be a state figure or a local figure that I've heard on the radio. So, you know, it's... we aren't devastated in the in this region of East Central Indiana, but mm-hmm. you know conditions can always be better. So, um, you know, economic development is needed for the area. I mean, I I, I do see that. Um, it just depends on you know whether this project could could provide that or or not. Um, the the phase two study that just came out had put a price tag of $440 million on this uh, proposed project. And several people have already pointed out some flaws in that, that it does not, you know, take into account uh, mitigation for wetlands, siting of those things, um, any lawsuits that could and probably would, um, you know, come up from this project. Uh, so there's there's some deficiencies in the in the budget already that people have pointed out. Um, whether the the community can support, uh, you know, that price tag uh, while this is being constructed through bonds or or you know the tax base, I I don't know. Well, these are these are obviously very critical issues. I think uh, what's certainly working in in favor of uh, the preservation community, and obviously um, this is a very critical element for them, is that you're in on the ground floor here. If they don't seem to have uh, real design plans yet, and that they don't have even a projected. Uh, justification for what they do uh, in terms of trying to get some kind of a consensus. You had indicated that uh, what went, for, what was originally designed for recreational purposes is now being parlayed into the need for water. And, and so the preservation community hopefully will have a leg up on this. The question then becomes, if a project like this does go through, um, obviously there will be uh, mitigation efforts. Um, archaeology will be done. And I'm just worried and concerned that uh, you and the council, I'm sure you've already discussed this, that there's got to be that kind of a fallback plan because uh, in the projects I've worked with in the past, a lot of archaeology gets done when, when a dam is about to go through. Uh, any thoughts on that? Yeah, and, it, you know, the, the mitigation for, for archaeology sites, you know, I mean, we definitely you know, deal with that. That's that's part of, you know, what Chris was talking about. You know, sure. most of our membership are, are in cultural resources management. So we're used to, you know, development projects. And if you do get to significant sites, you know, how do you mitigate them? You know, how do you lessen those effects? And and for some of the sites that we know that are in the footprint, those that are in the, in the floodplain um, that, that Chris was talking about, those 80-some sites that are already known, you know, traditional excavation of those data recovery, 
you know, um, recording everything uh, and and disseminating those results out to the public. You know, that's a that's a very easy kind of mitigation strategy, um, but it can be a very expensive one. And oh, sure. I I think that's one thing that you know has people concerned, you know, opponents anyway of the project, that they haven't been necessarily transparent. You know, factors like that have not even been brought up yet. You know, what do you do or how much would archaeological mitigation cost? You know, mitigation to the effects of the earthworks in Mount State Park, um, I don't know if we actually discussed this or not, but all of Mount State Park is listed on the National Register of Historic Places. So, well, you know, anything within that um, is is going to have, you know, a, probably an adverse effect. So, sure. you know, how do you, how do you mitigate an earthwork complex? It gets a lot trickier. You can't <laughs> just excavate it, document it, and write a report on it um, like you could for maybe some of those floodplain sites. Absolutely. So, um, we're going to have to bring this program to a close. Uh, here's to hoping that we don't reach that point and uh, that your efforts at this very early phase of the uh, project's incipient construct, not construction, incipient planning, let's hope <laughs> that uh, you guys stay on top of this and that uh, you won't have to deal with this type of situation. And uh, we'd certainly like to hear from you going forward because these types of Operations are very critical to what all of us in the preservation community are concerned about. So I want to thank my special guests, uh, Beth McCord of uh, the archaeological consulting firm Gray and Pape, and Chris Moore, who teaches at uh, Indianapolis University. I want to thank you very much for appearing in the program and uh, wishing you all the best for uh, the noble fight, if it, if it turns out to go that way. <laughs> thanks, thanks very much for appearing on the program. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Joe. Okay. And until next week, when we return with another episode, this is Joe Schuldenrein signing off. Have a pleasant week. Good evening. Thanks again for tuning in to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. Please join us for another unique journey into the past next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. In the meantime, think about the past with an eye towards the future and a better tomorrow. Tomorrow.